Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for October 2020. For more information on this podcast and other available resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and peace to you from Glenpool, Oklahoma. I need to speak that word of peace because we're living in a turbulent world, a crazy world where everything in this world system is conspiring to rob us of our peace uh, as children of God. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9 concerning the Prince of Peace. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I've discovered this, that the more I allow his government to rule in my life, the more I walk in peace. The kingdom of this world is not a kingdom of peace. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And there's always stuff going on in the world that will disturb your peace. And the more you yield to the authority of Jesus and his lordship in your life and, and, and come under his kingdom and his government and his reign, to that degree, you will walk in peace. So I just speak peace over you. Bev and I are going up to Murfreesboro, Tennessee again next week to speak at Shop Fix Academy. It is a closed conference to those who are members of Shop Fix Academy. Uh, this is our third time to be there. And we are really looking forward to ministering again uh, for four mornings in a row. I'll do uh, devotions at uh, 7.15 each morning. And then uh, two nights, I'll be doing an evening uh, talk. And uh, then two of the afternoons, I'll be doing breakout sessions, and which I'll be dealing with breaking the curse of poverty. And so it's going to be a great time, Bev and I are looking forward to it. Those of you that have been to our website will know that we have a new plug-in for listening to our tape sets, and it's far more intuitive than the one we have been using, which was a little bit scrappy. You had to go back each time and pull up a, a, a fresh message, and now you can get the whole series on one page and just listen. It's a lot easier to uh listen to sets of messages, and uh, I, I know you'll find it helpful. Well, am I excited about this month's message? Tracy, our daughter, has had a word burning in her heart, and uh, I'm thrilled for her to share it. It's a great word. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and uh, I know you will. I'm so glad that... Um, God has a digital scale that has no memory of the past. And you'll hear the significance of that as Tracy gets into the message. But we are righteous. And that's the bottom line. And it's wonderful to have her as a fresh voice reinforcing what I've been saying and others have been saying to you. So I pray that this month's message will just be a great blessing to you as you listen to Tracy. I was so excited when my dad asked me to share with you this month because I've had a word burning in my spirit. And I don't know if some of you have felt this before, but it's like when God has put a message inside of you and everything just keeps speaking to that same message and it's just burning and growing. And it's almost like being pregnant. I know 
you men listening may not know what that feels like. But when you have a baby growing inside of you, it's like your entire world becomes about that life inside of you. And it's it's in your every waking thought. And it kind of is what it feels like when you have a word inside of you as well. Feeling that kick, that nudge in your spirit, and it's impacting all your decisions and what you're doing. And I really believe that that word that God has been growing in me and feeding in me and has just become stronger and stronger in my spirit is for you. And I believe for many of you, it's going to set you free. It's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact the way that you interact with your world. It's a very practical word, and it's certainly been changing my life, and I believe it's going to change yours. This word started in me about a month ago. I was sitting in a church service, and I know during this time of COVID, just saying those words is kind of a rare experience because many of you listening from all over the globe haven't gotten to be in church for many months. Here in Oklahoma, we don't have a ban on services and church services, so we're all scattered all over the congregation and half in masks and half not, you know, how how that is, or if you're not from America, that that's kind of how it's going in America. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the service. And if you've been immersed in the word of righteousness for any length of time, if you've been listening to my dad's sermons or other preachers who are preaching grace, who've gotten a hold of the new covenant, who know and, and have received the message of righteousness, as that begins to permeate your spirit, it's just becomes increasingly difficult to sit in legalistic sermons and to hear law. And I want to talk to you about that just for a minute, because I was talking to a friend recently and they said that they said it's just so hard now. The message of grace has ruined me for traditional church. It's funny because I was raised in grace. My, my mom and dad, by the way, if you're new to listening to Liberty Living Ministries, my mom and dad, John and Beverly Sheesby, and I'm their daughter, Tracy Sheesby, now Jones. I married Matt Jones, and I have three kids, and we live in Jinx, Oklahoma, so it's just a little bit about me. But I was raised in the Word of Grace. And I'm telling you, that's a pretty transformative childhood. And what happens is when you were raised in grace, it's a really incredible legacy because my radar for law is so sharp. The minute I hear something that is not New Covenant, I'm like, oh, that's not New Covenant. And it's a red flag in my spirit. And it's funny because Matt and I are raising our children in grace and we can be listening to an amazing preacher. And my son, Noah, this happened to us a week ago. We were listening in our house. We were watching church on TV and the sermon was preaching along and it was a great word. And then he just hit on this one note of law. And my son, Noah, raises his hand and he's like, oh, I don't agree with that. And I'm like, because it's not grace. It's kind of like that story about the counterfeit money, that the way that people are trained to spot counterfeit money is that they study the real. And the more they study the real, when that fake bill comes along, they instantly know it. And the more you immerse yourself in the new covenant and immerse yourself in the word of grace, when law is preached, you may not even know how to articulate it, but there's like this red flag that comes up in your spirit and you're like, oh, that hits me wrong. That that's not grace. I don't know why it's not grace, but that's not grace. Now, <laughs> it's funny because it, that can feel like, and I think for many people, maybe this is you as well, because that's an unpleasant feeling. And you're like, especially if you've been brought out of legalism, 
when you taste legalism again, it leaves such a distaste in your mouth that it can make you want to withdraw. It can make you want to take 10 steps back. And well, I'm not going to that church anymore because they don't have the full revelation of righteousness. But I want to tell you how I've approached it. When we were just newly married, Matt and I attended Rhema Bible Training Center for two years and ran my parents' ministry at the time. But it was so funny because I always say of my time at Rhema, that 50% of what I learned came from Rhema. The other 50% came from what I disagreed with. My red flag would go up and I'd be like, I don't know why I disagree with that, but that's not new covenant. And then what I would do is I would just dig into the word and dig into the truth. And so by the end of it, I'm then preaching to Matt and saying, Matt, but this is what the word says. And I would get so charged for not what I disagreed with, but for what the word said. And so even though what was causing that reaction in me was the word of legalism, the response within me was actually growth because I dug into the word and the word rose up inside of me and the word became so strong in me. And the result of our time at Rhema is that Matt and I really came onto the same page at the beginning of our marriage in what we believed and and standing on the word together and knowing our position as heirs in Christ and knowing who we are and, and letting the word of grace wash over us and not being sucked back into a performance system. And so the effect was I had been established in grace, but it established both of us in grace during our time there. And that is what I do when I'm in church services, when I'm sitting there and a sermon is being preached and I am sitting there thinking, oh, my word, this is not grace. There's no grace. This this poor person has no revelation of the new covenant. And usually compassion rises in me because I think, oh, my goodness, their lives must be so tiring and hard when they're trying to perform But the second thing that happens in me is the word of righteousness rises up. And you can do two things with that. One, you can get angry. And I understand that response because I certainly have gotten angry in the past, especially when I feel that the the children and the people of God are being abused and being led into bondage and led into slavery even by the word that's being preached from the, the pulpit. But in my personal life, what happens is that I sit there in the sermon and I'm listening to what's being said. And I begin to just pray and talk to the spirit and the Lord, let the word of righteousness rise in me. And it's almost like the opposition to the word causes the word to rise up even stronger. And I'll sit in sermons that are absolute toxic, legalistic smudge. And I get to the end and I am full and I'm rimming and I'm overflowing. Sometimes Matt has to put his hand on my knee to keep it from bouncing because I'm just so, not because of anger, but I'm so full of life. And I just feel like I need to preach to someone. And my poor family will get it on the way home from whatever service that we've been in because I'm so full. And so anyway, that's what you're going to get a little bit of today is the word of righteousness rose up in me in that church service. And the sermon that was being preached was he was preaching about Samson and he was preaching about the judges. But the only thing that he had to offer in that sermon was that your actions have consequences. And no matter what you do, you are stuck with those consequences. So be careful with your actions because you'll have to live with those consequences forever. And then at the end of the sermon, he asked everybody to raise their hands if they were suffering the consequences of their actions. 
and he asked God to help them to have the strength to walk through those consequences. Now, (laughs) maybe some of you are thinking, okay, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah, your actions have consequences, but I am praying that by the end of my sermon today that you're going to have a different perspective. Because this concept of consequences, I know that I have had a twisted understanding of that as well in the past. It's like, well, yes, I know God has forgiven me and I know that there's grace for what I did and he's cleansed me with his blood. But now I've got the result in my life and it's yucky. But I guess I just have to walk that out because I made this mistake or I missed it in this area And now I'm in there. And so, you know, I didn't trust God with my finances. And now I have credit card debt and I just have to walk that out. I said the wrong thing to a friend. And now I'm just walking in broken relationship as a result. And that's just the consequence in my life. And we accept those things in our lives because we think we deserve it. We think we deserve that consequence Although God has forgiven us, there's really nothing he can do about the consequence, right? As I was sitting there in that sermon, and I began to ask the Spirit of God to say, Lord, would you show me? I can feel in my spirit this is wrong. I know this is not what I believe. I know this is not according to the word of grace. I know this is not your heart for me. Why? Why? What is it about this dire warning on consequences that is getting me? And as I was sitting there, I saw a picture of a scale. Have any of you ever seen those old-timey scales? And they're typically made of brass or metal, and you have a fulcrum at the center. You know, like there's a bar, and then this top bar rests on the the bottom bar. If I could show this to you in person, it would be a lot easier, but I'm going to describe it today. On the one side, you have a cup. Uh, And then uh, on the other side, you have a cup. So they kind of balance out. And it's often used in pictures of the Supreme Court or in the justice system. They use these old-timey scales. And the idea being on the one side of the scale is your works and what you needed to do or didn't do and how you measure up to what the expectation is under the law. And I know many of you have heard that analogy before. You know what that looks like. But that's what I saw in my spirit that day is this image of the scale. On the one side is what you are expected to do, your good behavior, like putting things on the scale, your bad behavior, taking things off or the opposite, you know, the measurement of perfection. And on the other side is all the things that you're doing wrong and the scales just continually tipping like this. So the end result is judgment because you didn't live up to whatever the expectation was on the other side. And that's a perfect illustration of the old covenant, as many of you will recognize, because you could never live up. You could never measure up to what the standard was on the other side under the law. And God actually designed the system that way. Because when the children of Israel came to God and they said, we just need a system of rules. Just tell us what to do. We're not okay with you just leading us through the wilderness. We want to have it all established. Tell us what to do and we will do it. That's actually what the Israelites said to God. And so he said, okay, if you don't want to relate to me on the basis of covenant that I gave to your forefather Abraham, and I said, I'm going to bless you, not because of what you're doing, but simply because you believe in me. And up until the point where the children of Israel demanded that God give them something to do to 
guarantee the exchange of his blessing if they were good enough. Um, but up until that point, the only thing, if you look at the scales, the only thing that was required on the one side of the scale was belief. But the children of Israel, they couldn't get it. They just couldn't do it. And belief was the thing that they struggled the most with. So they said, give us a list of laws, something that we can do so that we can earn and manipulate and twist and deserve your favor on the other side. And so what God did was load the side of the scale with expectations. And he said, you know, the word tells us that he really never had an expectancy that they would be able to do all the law, that no man was able to do all of the law until Jesus. Jesus is the only one in human history who was ever able to do all of the law. And so then what he instituted was blood covenant, right? And I know that many of you are familiar with this if you have been listening to my dad. And if you haven't, I just encourage you to go listen to the new covenant, to go listen to the series that dad has been teaching in the, in the past few months, because covenant is all through there. So I'm just touching briefly on it today. And I do have a point. So <laughs> hang with me. So you have these gold scales. And so on the one side was all the requirements of the law. And on the other side was God's blessing. Well, God came along and here's the weight of their sin, right? And so God instituted blood sacrifice. On the other side of the cup of their sin was the blood sacrifice. The blood sacrifice was supposed to atone for the sins of the people. So because nothing could wipe out their sins but blood. So I want to stop right there and give you a little illustration of this system. I'm a big superhero fan. <laughs> you may not know that about me. And I would blame it on having two sons, but I'd be lying. Um, Superman was my first, one of the first movies I remember seeing with my dad and just being captivated by the man who could fly. My brother and I have been playing superheroes since we were tiny kids. Brad and I would, I was always Firestar. I was back in Spidey Friends. I don't know if you ever guys, guys ever saw Spidey and his friends, but I was Firestar because Firestar could fly. Brad was Spider-Man and we would be jumping from couch to couch. I had this beautiful crocheted cape. That was my cape, even though Firestar didn't have a cape. But anyway, <laughs> but I've loved superheroes my whole life and been captivated. And I know the world is captivated by them. But the one superhero I have a really hard time with is one of the modern superheroes and it's Black Widow. Now, I might change my mind after I see her movie, if it ever comes out with co the whole COVID thing. But Black Widow, for those of you who don't follow superheroes, Black Widow was trained as an assassin. From the time she was a little girl, she was trained to kill. She was Russian originally, and she lived her whole life executing people, basically. We still don't know in the Marvel Universe exactly what it was when the moment of conscience came to Black Widow, where she realized, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't who I want to be. But when we meet her, she is now working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and she is trying to do good with her life. But she has this saying that is so powerful. I just want to put this out here because it's such a powerful representation of the old covenant. And the idea is, I have blood in my ledger. I want to wipe it out. 
She says it over and over through the movies as this is her motivation for everything she does. I have blood in my ledger. I'd like to try and wipe it out. So everything that Black Widow does is for the sake of vindicating her past actions, trying to make up for past behavior, trying to be good enough. And there's this very powerful moment that comes in one of the movies when she is um, interviewing the bad guy in the movie. His name is Loki. And he's asking her, he's pushing her buttons. He's very perceptive the way our enemy is, very perceptive. And he's pushing her buttons and he says, why are you doing this? And she says, I have blood in my ledger. I'd like to wipe it out. Gives her standard answer. And he says to her, can you ever wipe out that much blood? It's so profound because even though he's pushing her button, he's actually exactly right that she can never make right in her life all the people she's hurt, all the families that don't have fathers, that don't have husbands, that don't have sons or don't have daughters because she took their lives. But that picture of I've blood in my ledger, I'd like to wipe it out, is I think how many of us live because we think we are living in the consequences of our actions. And the only way for us to walk out those actions is to try to make it right. And maybe some of you have used those exact words in your life. You've done something, you've hurt people, and you try to make it right. You try to load your side of the scale with enough goodness to make up for the pain that you've caused on the other side. And that system that you've bought into in your relationship, I want you to see it on that golden scale exactly the way the Old Testament system was. And you know, if you've been listening to the message of grace, the impossibility of ever living up to the law. And I just want to tell you today that that same impossibility, if you've put your relationships on a golden scale where you are weighing and trying and trying and trying to add good behavior to make up for bad behavior, you are in a losing system today and you've put yourself in prison and you've put the person that you've hurt in a prison with you and you've tweaked that relationship and there's a switch in the balance of power. And I know you can feel that inside of you. And sometimes you don't know what to do about that because you feel so guilty. You feel so bad. You know it was your fault. You did the damage and you can't get off of the system of trying to make it up, trying to be a better person. When will it ever be enough? How can you ever wipe out that much blood? As Loki said to, to the Black Widow. And I'm glad you're asking that question because I want to tell you right now, there is so much hope. Yet if you live with the scales of justice governing your life, the scales will never ever balance. But here's the amazing thing that God dropped into my spirit in that legalistic church service where it's being preached. You can never ever be free from the consequences of your action. And that is this picture. Okay, so we've got the picture of the, the brass or the gold scales with the cups on the one side. And as I'm staring at the preacher, I saw in my spirit a digital scale. And I knew what the God was saying. So I have both. I have an old-timey measuring scale in my kitchen, and I also have a digital scale. And the coolest thing about a digital scale is that whatever you put on the scale before you push the on button... The scale doesn't see it. 
Okay, so if you have a heavy bowl and you're gonna measure how much flour you want, you put the heavy bowl on first, then you turn the scale on, and then you add the flour. The scale doesn't see the bowl. It registers as zero. The second that scale turns on, it is recalibrated to zero. Whatever, thing, whatever is on that scale is at zero so that what you add to the scale after it's turned on is, is what matters. And I saw this in an instant. I saw the comparison of the two scales. And what I knew in my heart that the Lord was saying that what happened in Calvary, what happened with Jesus, wasn't just that he filled the scale of the Old Testament scale, the two brass cups. It was that he switched us into a digital scale. And the way that it looks now is that everything that you are, Everything that you were, everything that you have done in your life is on the scale before Jesus. And that your whole life, the weight of your actions, everything that you could ever do, all the bad, all the good is on the scale before Jesus. And Jesus's blood is the on switch as far as grace and redemption, and righteousness, and reconciliation. And at the point when you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, that on switch goes on, and there is nothing about you that is taken into the equation of righteousness. There's nothing about your old past or what you've done that is taken into the equation of right standing before God, of worthiness before God, of his love for you, of his grace, of what he wants to do in your relationships, of what he wants to do in your life. Nothing about your past, good or bad, your present, good or bad, or your future, good or bad, weighs into the equation of righteousness. Do you see that? So you're, you have been recalibrated. Your life has been recalibrated to a new scale, to a new system. The new covenant took us off of the weights and measurements scale and it put everything on the scale all at once. And then the blood of Jesus, which covers every sin, which covers a multitude of transgressions, which covers everything we could ever do. The blood of Jesus pushes the on button and God says, you're mine, you're mine. You're covered in my son's blood. You wear the cloak of righteousness. You are in right standing. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to ask for mercy and grace to help in time of need because the on switch of Jesus' blood changed everything for you. And the powerful thing is it didn't just change you. And it does. It transforms you. It starts transforming your heart. It starts transforming the way that you see yourself. And, but it didn't just change you. It changes the consequences of your actions because it takes you off of the performance scale and making restitution, making things right. And it puts you in the grace scale of life in the spirit. I'm free from the baggage but how do I then live? I've got a friend who he's friends with my husband and I had the opportunity to have breakfast with him the other day with Matt and my dad. And um, his name is Cameron and he's from South Africa. 
And Cameron is 23 years old, and he got stuck in America during COVID. He was taking a break here after university, and he's been here for the last, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but last eight months or so because he got stuck, and the borders of South Africa are still not open um, right now. But my dad asked Cameron this question. He said, Cameron, what led you to the word of grace? And I love his answer because I want you to hear it today. Cameron was 15 years old and he just had this heart after God and he was sitting in a church service and he said he just had such a hunger for healing. It was like anywhere God was showing up, Cameron wanted to be in the middle of it. So he goes to this church service where miracles have been taking place and healings have been taking place. And the pastor stands up and he said, I want you to have two columns in your mind, and one is Jesus's righteousness. It's how good was Jesus? And I want you to rate Jesus. And so Cameron's like, well, he's the son of God. Okay. So Jesus gets a 10, obviously. And he's like, and on the other side of that column, I want you to rate you. Are you good enough? Do you do all the things that you're supposed to do? Have you sinned? Well, Jesus doesn't sin. Obviously he never sinned. So he's a 10. And Cameron's like going down the list of like all the the things that the, the preacher is listing out. Have you done comparing yourself to Jesus? And he was like, I guess I'd be like maybe a one and a half and righteous. I mean, I'm like, how do you compare yourself to Jesus? Right. And he gets to the end of the list. And the pastor said this. And this is what I want to share with you today, because he said anything that's not either a zero or a 10 is religion. You are either nothing <laughs> Or you stand in the righteousness of Christ with Jesus. In any area of your life where you are rating yourself as less than, you have gotten into the work of religion. You've gotten into the work of weighing yourself on the scales and you're finding yourself wanting. And there's so many areas that you can put on there. How about motherhood or fatherhood? What kind of parent are you? A zero or a ten? Anything that you rate yourself as less than, you have gotten into comparison, you've gotten into judgment, and you've gotten into a system of scales that God has never intended you to live your life on because it is either what Jesus did and who he is and walking in the righteousness of Christ and walking in his love and flowing out of his spirit, or it's you trying to do things on your own in a system where you will never measure up, never be enough, never ever be able to wipe out that much blood in your ledger. And Cameron said for him, that was the moment the lights came on and he was like, oh my word, I'm a 10. And God's grace flowed all over him. And he said he began to just dig into the word of grace because he knew I'm a 10. Jesus has made me a 10. In whatever area I'm struggling, I'm gonna not, no longer going to consider my mortal body as the standard, but I'm going to consider what Jesus has done for me, and I'm going to begin to renew my mind to who he says that I am. That, friends, is the summing up of the renewing of the mind, is when your mind begins to be conformed to the image of God and what he says about me radiates through my life and transforms the way that I relate and the way that I see myself in my relationships, the way that I see myself as a person. And I stand fully holding on to that. I am a 10 as a wife. 
I am a 10 in every area of my life, not because I earn it or deserve it, but because I never could. I could never earn it or deserve it. I am laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me and receiving my covenant inheritance and walking out righteousness. And this is not arrogance. I mean, I've heard people say that grace is an arrogant way to live. And oh my word, I could not disagree more because I think when you truly lay hold of righteousness, you get that you can't do anything. In fact, laying hold of righteousness is this place of abject surrender where you're like, nothing I do is right because it's not by my works of righteousness, but it's by his grace alone. It's a place of throwing yourself on the mercy seat of God. And you can't stand there knowing that you've caused pain and claiming his righteousness without feeling the depth of humility in your need to justify yourself, in your need to vindicate yourself, in your need to make restitution and make it right. You lay all of that down when you take up his righteousness, your dirty rags, your efforts, in exchange for what Jesus already did for you. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 10. This chapter so perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about today and the picture of what Jesus did for us in resetting and recalibrating our scales. And I'm reading from the New King James Version in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, Make those who approach perfect. So I'm just going to stop right there. So if you're bringing these sacrifices, if you're bringing these offerings, if you're bringing your efforts onto the scale, under the old covenant scale system, you can never be made perfect. And you have to keep bringing it. You have to keep trying. You have to keep doing. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. You see, if your own efforts got you where you wanted to go, if you were able to make atonement for your sins with your friend, with your neighbor, and to your own self, you would eventually get there, and you wouldn't have a consciousness of sin anymore. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Every time you do penance, every time you try to wipe out the blood in your own ledger, There's a reminder of your sin. You never get free. Verse four, but it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And I'm going to skip down to verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And that's what you do when you participate in that old system. You're offering daily sacrifices that can never take away sins because Jesus has already done it once and for all. For this man, keeping going in verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, that picture of Jesus is, it's done. 
My work is done. I've done it once and for all. I've recalibrated the scale. There is nothing more that can be added. There's nothing that they can do to take away from the finished work of what I have done. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's a forever switch, no matter what you do from here, no matter what you've done in the past, that on button is forever. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Sweet friends, where Jesus has forgiven, you have to come into agreement with his forgiveness. It's it's the work of religion to remind you of the sin and the transgression that God says right there in Hebrews 10, 14. Now, where there is remission of these, There is no longer an offering of sin. Verse 17, I will remember them no more. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another as standing in the righteousness of God. Let us consider one another and not imputing sins to each other and to ourselves, which God has already declared, I remember no more. You are righteous because Jesus is righteous. So I want to ask you today, because I've preached all of this to get to this point, And that is, what do you do when you've messed up your marriage and you are living in the consequence? What do you do when you've hurt your child? I want to give a practical illustration from my life and just a little bit without uncovering my kids. But this, this last weekend, a situation arose with one of my, one of my children and they're dealing with something and it's just normal kid stuff. I've got three teenagers, 18, about to be 16 and 13 going on 14. (laughs) So I have a lot of teenage hormones going on in my house right now. And it's a very formative time. They don't fully know who they are. They're beginning to grasp it, but there's a lot of struggle and figuring things out and surrender to the Lordship of Christ is a big deal when you're a teen because you, you think you have it all together, right? And you're having to come to this place of humility and realizing that you don't. And I know for me, it took me fully till the age of 19 before I really laid down that right to be right and that right to justify myself and just surrendered fully to the Lordship of Christ. But that's an aside. So, so I have, I have three teens in my house and one of them was struggling this weekend. And immediately the enemy came to me and said, you're not a good mother. How can you preach this sermon 
when you don't have it all together for your children. And I'll tell you that nothing pushes your buttons quite like parenthood. For those of you that aren't parents, maybe you can remember the way that you pushed your parents' buttons like this. But it pushes your buttons because you think to yourself, yeah, it's my fault. Well, what can I do? How can I help? And there's such a temptation in your relationships to get back on the scale because it's in all of relationships. When you know there's damage, when you know there's consequences, how do you walk out righteousness in your life and not get back into the system of performance? And the number one thing that you have to do in order to walk out righteousness is you have to come into agreement with God and who he says about you. And to do that, you got to forgive yourself. If you're sitting there today and you've blown it, you've hurt people, maybe you had a conversation you shouldn't have and your words came out and you didn't mean for them to be damaging, but they did damage. And that relationship is broken and you're sitting there today and you're thinking, how do I make this right? Friends, this is where it starts. You need to forgive yourself. Throw yourself on the mercy of God and come into agreement with what he says about you. The word says in Matthew 18, 18, that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And when you get back into the system of performance in your relationships because you've hurt someone and you're trying in the natural to make it up to them, do you know what ends up happening there? You inadvertently put yourself in a place of bondage and you put the person that you've wounded in a place of bondage because they become your prison keeper. They become the one that's saying, well, when have you done enough? I don't know if I feel better about my relationship with you yet. I need to see you grovel more. I need to see more repentance from you. I need to see more humility from you. I need to see more change in behavior from you. And they become a warden in a system that you can't win. And the only thing the Bible says that unlocks that system is the power of forgiveness. And that's where it has to start with you as well. So whatever is there that has been like weighing on you and just crushing your spirit and making you feel like I need to do usually is triggered by a root of unforgiveness towards you. So you got to start right there, the place of humility, the most powerful thing that you can do to break the cycle of pain that was triggered by your behavior is to forgive yourself and to come in agreement with what Jesus says about you, that there's nothing that you can do to earn or deserve his forgiveness. So you can't put yourself on a system that's earning and deserving your own forgiveness. It goes against the nature of the Father. Jesus said it so powerfully in that same chapter in Matthew 18 because he starts talking about, you've been forgiven of so much where the the servant is forgiven a debt and he refuses to forgive his servant. And in that cycle of unforgiveness, the king says, you didn't forgive. And so I'm revoking my forgiveness because you have not passed on forgiveness. And let me tell you, my friends, you have been forgiven. You are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. And right now where you are, I just want you to, we're just going to walk this out live as I preach it. I was going to do it at the end as a prayer, but I just feel right now in my heart that some of you can't get past this point until you speak the word of forgiveness. So I challenge you right now, And I want you to say, Jesus, I forgive myself 
and I cancel the debt that I've held. I've got blood in my ledger and I've held myself to a debt. And Lord, I'm canceling that debt in the name of Jesus, not because I have deserved it or earned it enough, but because that system is a system of bondage that Jesus, you died to free me from. You died to reset and recalibrate my scale so that when I step onto the scale, in spite of the fact that I look down and all I see is dirty robes, you clothe me in your righteousness. You receive me as your child and you accept me and I receive me and I accept me. And Jesus, would you recalibrate the scale of my life to bring me back into the place of wholeness and healing and righteousness right now in the name of Jesus. Whatever you have done, begin here. Start here. Forgive yourself, release yourself, give him your ledger, surrender your right to make it right. In Jesus' name, cancel the debt that you've held against yourself for not parenting your kids the way that you felt like they should have been parented, that you see in hindsight, I wish I hadn't done that. If I only done this or I hadn't done that, things would have turned out differently. That's a ledger, my friends. You got to lay that ledger at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, it's not by my works of righteousness, but it's by your grace alone. Lord, I allow your blood to cover all of my shortcomings. Everything that I did do, everything that I didn't do is all before you. So that's the first part. You forgive yourself. The second part, and the word is so clear about this. If you've done anything to anyone and you know that they have unforgiveness against you, before you come into the place of worship, you go to them and you ask for forgiveness. And this isn't a work of performance. This isn't a work of law. This is just a work of liberty. It's that you've done damage and you go and you humble yourself. And I'm telling you, if you don't forgive yourself first, what's going to happen is, and this happens so many times, is that people come to ask for forgiveness, but they come with this tweak of, I'm doing my part. Now you have to do your part. And they're still in the columns. They're still in the weights, in the, in the golden weights, right? They're saying, well, now that I've asked for forgiveness, you're in sin because you're not forgiving me. And I'm telling you, that's not how forgiveness works. And if you're coming with a sense of entitlement, you're going to do more damage in your relationships than you did in the initial thing. Forgiveness works in that you ask forgiveness and you release them to God. Forgiveness is an act of releasing, okay? It's canceling that debt. It's breaking that cycle of pain. You are getting out of the way in their lives so that the Spirit of God can work in their lives. And the timing of that is up to the Holy Spirit not up to you, and it's certainly not up to you to judge and police them on when they forgive you. And I think many of us have done that. We think once we say we're, that we're sorry for an action, it should all be right again, right? Because that's the simple thing. Well, I hurt you, yeah, but I asked for forgiveness, so it was a bad for a good, and my scale's balanced. Okay, no, that's not how the new covenant works. Because there is no scales of balances. And if there is, that relationship is always going to have a tweak in it. There's a tweak there. There's a, well, they didn't forgive me and I asked for forgiveness. What if that happens? It is going to happen in your life. There will be things where you've done damage and an apology isn't enough. 
if you are on that scale of balances. It'll never be enough. <laughs> Your death may not even be enough for some of you. And so that's why Jesus said, you forgive, you ask for forgiveness, but the rest is on the Holy Spirit to work and to mold and to do in them what he wants to do and that you might not get your feeling of being vindicated. And that's what you give up as you lay down these things. So you've asked for forgiveness and then what do you do? How do you walk out righteousness? You walk it out according to the Spirit. You don't continue to earn and try to deserve or do anything that isn't led by the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you why. Because if you bake a cake for your neighbor whose cat you killed, and you can bake cakes. Sorry, I haven't killed a cat, by the way. But <laughs> you can bake cakes from now until Christmas, and they may not forgive you. And those cakes, if they're not led by the Spirit of God, may just fuel your neighbor's anger. And you think, well, I'm killing them with kindness. But no, what you're actually doing is trying to vindicate yourself. And those steps of you trying and trying and trying may be doing exactly the opposite of what you want. And that you just keep doing damage and damage and damage and damage and hurting unless it's by the Spirit of God. And I want to challenge you today, if you are walking in what you consider to be the consequences of your actions in your relationships, to stop doing anything that you haven't been led by the Spirit to do. Because when you do it by the Spirit, it's going to reap a harvest that is so much more than you can do by the natural. And it's not going to compound damage because it'll be by the Spirit you don't get to make up your sin under the new covenant. You can't have it both ways. But when you live a life led by the Spirit of God, He can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you ask or think. You invite grace into that point of brokenness. You invite His Spirit into that point of damaged relationship even if it's credit card debt. This is a really practical one that many people are struggling with. And I know my husband and I got into some debt a few years ago and Matt kept saying, but we did this. The Lord challenged him finally and said, when are you going to forgive yourself for this so that you can lay hold of my grace for this and begin to walk in my spirit to walk you out of this, which is not one plus one, because you can work and work and work and work and work in the system, trying to deserve, trying to get better, or you can get in tandem with what God wants to do and the way that God wants to do it. And he can do it exponentially beyond what you could ever do in the natural. You don't want to be in the system of paying dot for dot for dot. You want to be allied with your Father God who knows exactly how to walk this out with you and for you. Yes, you've missed it. Yes, you've blown it. But we're going to ask the Lord that this would not bear a harvest, that, that God would seal it with his blood, and he would do exactly what I'm talking about now, exceedingly and abundantly on your behalf. You can believe for favor when you don't deserve it if you get off of the merit system. If you stop weighing your life by this and you begin to walk according to the Spirit, you walking according to the Spirit 
untweaking your relationships from that, I have to perform, I have to deserve, I have to show them that I'm worthy again. And you going back to the place of, I forgive me. I ask you humbly to forgive me. And now, Holy Spirit, will you lead me daily? Will you show me daily? Can you see that? Can you feel how that just breathes life into that situation? You don't have to try anymore because you have an ally with God who looks at you and says, that's my kid. What's my kid going through? I'm with him. I'm with her. I'm for her. I don't consider her faults or her weaknesses as part of the equation. Your scale, my friend, has been recalibrated by the blood of Jesus, and you have to lay hold of that, even in the consequences, to allow the Spirit of God to move and to do and to come alongside. Because in that middle of the, the brokenness that's on the other side of the equation, whatever the damage is, it really comes down to a matter of trust. Do you trust the Spirit of God to do more than you could do, to be more than you can be in that situation so that your actions don't do further damage but come alongside of what the Spirit of God is already doing? So Jesus, will you come? Holy Spirit, will you come? Lord, we have tweaked our relationships. We've tweaked our, ourselves. We've tweaked the way we see ourselves. And we've been targets of the enemy because we haven't known who we are. There's an amazing verse I don't want to not read to you. And it's in Romans 12, verse 3 through 5. It's in the Message Bible. I'm speaking to you out of the deep gratitude for all God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you, living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. And the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us not by what we are and what we do for him. Lord, let the truth of that resonate in our spirits. Lord, it's not our goodness that's on the scale. It's yours. Lord, it's not our faithfulness. It's yours. Lord, everything that we could bring was recalibrated in Jesus. And our lives are weighed by what he did for us. Lord, we receive that right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you invade our consequences? Would you invade our lists? Would you invade our ledgers and wipe them out with the blood of Jesus? We receive grace, not just as it pertains to our relationship with the Heavenly Father, but we receive grace in every part of our lives. Thank you, Father. Breathe your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that marriages are going to be renewed. Lord, I thank you that relationships with family is going to be renewed as we release them to the Spirit of God and we release ourselves. Lord, I thank you that friendships are going to be restored. Lord, we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think 
according to the working of your spirit. In Jesus' name. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.